Good morning. Happy anniversary, huh? It's great. So I'm going to try and give you a little glimpse of what I perceive as our journey um, for Cornerstone. Um, you know, way back when we were doing some of the uh, visitor classes, uh, I went and talked, and it was it was uh, it started out. It was it was like a tale of two churches, really. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Cornerstone actually came from another church called Simi Community, and uh, you know, it was it was broken at the time, and, and so uh, the beauty of of this journey, when I look at it, and when we started, is is that. God takes broken things and he makes them beautiful. And uh, he has certainly done that in the life of this church. One of the things that Billy mentioned a minute ago is, I think one of the goals when we started, we didn't know it, it wasn't formally written, but this idea of love God, love people, to give every individual an accurate picture of God and make them a fully devoted follower was really what we were all about. So we started as a... uh, just a Bible study. And uh, so before you know it, it's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to start a church. And we started meeting at Sinaloa Junior High, and it, it, it just filled up. And you could just see the beauty of God's people working together in unity, serving each other, loving each other. And, and it just continued to draw more people in. And the next thing you know, we went from uh, what we called the junior high to Chuck E. Cheese and Chuck E. Cheese immediately expanded our, our, our growth. And, and, uh, we, we changed the services. And as soon as we changed them, God would fill up the congregation again. And eventually we opened up what this was, was the old built board of realtors. And, um, so, so immediately the first meeting, almost it was full. And so we started doing multiple services and God would just fill it up and lives were being changed as, as we were doing this. There were, we were baptizing people before we had a formal baptism at people's houses and spas and pools and, and just dunking them and seeing God work in miraculous ways that it's hard to think about that 25 years later that for some of us that are, have been here since the beginning have seen God work in incredible ways. Um, so, so as this growth continued, it was just, there were just tons of people. And so, so we started thinking, okay, um, we need to send some of these people out. <laughs> and so we kind of got into this, this mode of, of being able to uh, uh, raise up so many wonderful individuals. And so we ended up with um, church plants in Idaho, Ohio, Texas, Moore Park, Portland, West LA. We tried one in Ventura. I don't think that went too far. Colorado, uh, it was a Spanish church. And we even had a senior pastor that decided that he would go up to San Francisco and try and do some small group church plants as well. And God raised up somebody else to uh, take his place. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing. So uh, the, as somebody that watches this, we used to tell our kids, and I don't want to divert too long here, but uh, it's like you, you don't understand that this is an incredible work of God that not everybody gets to see. And, and still to this day, it's hard to believe it was 25 years 
we've got podcasts all over the world. Uh, we used to, some of the things that we used to do that are memorable in the early days, we used to have these summers in the park uh, uh, movies, and, and we would just get everybody and invite their neighbors and, and we'd share the gospel. And people would come to the Lord and we would, we would do these boot scooting bilgy, uh, <laughs> country western barbecues, I guess what we called them. And uh, we did a thing called Just Stop and Think, where we wanted to get a video in every person's hand in Simi Valley. What a credible thing. And yet God allowed us to, to do it because he is the hero that allowed this to happen. Um, we had Easter services where we could reach out to people and uh, at Royal High School and Moore Park College eventually that we saw people line up to get baptized and, and people give their lives to the Lord. And so, um, you know, when I look at that, that's part of the journey. Uh, we've got 54 partners, missionaries, as I like to call them in my old fashioned way, that are spread all over the globe. And we have 20 organizations that we partner with, um, from Forever Found to Gospel for Asia. Some of them past, some of them present, uh, Children's Hunger Fund. There, there's just a ton of them. But it's because of that God uses broken people like ourselves. And if we're willing to serve and we're willing to be obedient to what God has, he will use us. And so... Thank you who are still here and see me and haven't left. Thank you for the people that are watching that, that are around the country and the church plants. And, and um, it's just been an honor and a blessing to be able to serve here. So thank you for letting me share a little bit. Good morning. My name is Sandy Schmid, and I had the privilege of working at Cornerstone Church from 2001 till 2013 as the office manager and assistant to Francis, Doug, and Todd. <laughs> My years at Cornerstone saw many changes, but I might add it saw a few shenanigans along the way as well. <laughs> being, a, being that I was the cool old lady of the office and they knew that I was really jumpy, they took privilege getting back at me with some things. For instance, I walked to the front of the office one day. There was a box sitting by the doorway. Out jumps, jumps a person, scares me half out of my wits. <laughs> then I was sitting in my office doing my work and turned my head and someone drops a lizard on my desk that comes running across. I bolted out of the office so fast. And then... The one thing that scared me out of my mind, I went into the women's restroom, which was a small restroom right outside my office. I opened the door, and there's a male mannequin sitting on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. Well, while I w that's enough of those things. But while I, w while I was preparing to come up here, I thought of some other crazy things that took place that didn't involve scaring me. Like, do you remember when Francis thought it was a good idea to have a volunteer from the body come up and shoot a balloon with the BB gun out of his mouth? Well, he did get a volunteer, and he did shoot the balloon, thankfully. 
But can I just add that he didn't try that again after a lawyer, a police officer, and the elders came up and said, I don't think that's a great idea. <laughs> now on to some more fruitful things that I remember. I remember when they first started talking about a Bible college at Cornerstone, and Josh Walker came in to interview, and he comes in dressed to kill in a suit and a tie, and I'm thinking, that ought to be interesting in this blue jean sandal-clad group of pastors we have. But it was an exciting time. As we all were trying to suggest names for the college, I believe it was Chris Cotry that came up with Eternity Bible College. An EBC was started to help advance the gospel by providing affordable biblical education. And their goal is to restore biblical, biblical education so that the love of God will transform all aspects of society. And since its inception, 70 students are serving internationally, 250 students are serving in vocational ministry, and 1,000 students are serving in local churches. EBC, that's great. EBC continues to make strides, amazing strides like this every year. And just a side note, I never saw Josh Walker in a suit and tie again. Well, Francis planted this church 25 years ago, and it wasn't long after that. We had so many other plants happening, like Alan mentioned. To name the few I remember, Paul Hatfield off to Idaho, Tony Hall off to Ohio, Brian off to, Brian Risky off to Colorado, Scott Mel off to Los Angeles, Gordy Duncan to Moorpark, uh, Doug Fox off to Texas, and those of you who know me, that broke my heart but I will say it did stop some of, some of those shenanigans. <laughs> Chuck Bomar off to Oregon, Mary Beth Jared off to Hollywood, and there were others as well. I just can't remember them all. I'm getting old. Um, it was definitely a bittersweet time, though, to, say, to see these people go. They had become like family to us, but it was also an exciting time to see what the Lord had prepared and what he was going to do with all this, and it has been an amazing time. About six years after working at Cornerstone, um, Francis uh, gave a message. We started to hear more and more about human trafficking. And it was one Sunday that I was at a service, um, and Shannon Sergi was at a service, uh, and uh, he spoke about human trafficking. I didn't know Shannon at the time, but she went on to start Forever Found, which is a ministry that we support at Cornerstone, and I got involved with Life Impact International. And in the meantime, I got to know Shannon, so I started helping with Forever Found as well. And then uh, she invited my husband and I to become uh, board members, and we've been on the board for the past seven years. Forever Found, as many of you know, supports the needs of Ventura County in the rescue process of domestic minor victims coming alongside survivors and uh, partnering with them, seeing them get through the restoration. They also partner with rescue homes around the world, and they focus on the care of the rescued children at Forever Found India and continue to rescue children as needed. Then in 2013, I felt the Lord leading me to move on, and because I had been involved with human trafficking in the fight against human trafficking by that time, I had, um, and had been involved with Forever Found, I got an idea from my good friend Rhonda Capaldi to open a thrift store. 
It took me a while to get the courage to mention this to my husband. And, but I finally presented the idea to him. But let's just say that conversation didn't go so well. Um, and I had to pick him up off the floor. First of all, he thought I'd lost my mind. And he actually questioned if I'd ever been in a thrift store. <laughs> However, God works in mysterious ways, especially when a lot of prayer is involved. And we had a dear friend pray with us, and she prayed that we would get out of the boat and follow God's lead. Honestly, Ted's heart was changed almost immediately after that prayer, and things took off like crazy. And it will be five years, it is five years this month that Second Story was opened. We are under the 501c3 of Forever Found, so we're, we're partners. We have no paid employees. We have over 50 volunteers, many of which are from this very church body, who endless, selflessly and endlessly give up their time. All, but I have to say, all the glory goes to God, because He alone has guided us and watched over us and partnered with us, and so to speak, He, he parted the waters to make it all happen. And Cornerstone graciously came alongside of us during that time. And Ted and I are still amazed at how the community has supported us to make Second Story such a success. And by the way, Forever Found and Second Story both have tables out in the lobby today. So if you are interested in helping, please stop by. But to sum all this up, I will end with this. I saw God work in amazing ways while I was working here spreading the gospel with church plants, equipping men and women at EBC to go out and spread the gospel, doing ministry together and all the different ministries involved, and having a whole lot of fun doing it. Those were some of the best years of my life, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to go down memory lane. Good morning. Uh, my name is Robin Albanese. <coughs> Excuse me. Hello, Froggy. Um, I um, am one of the original um, members of Cornerstone. I was part of the Bible studies that Alan Waters referenced in his uh, little uh, presentation. And uh, so I've been here for the whole journey, seen it from uh, the very beginning. Initially, in the fall of 1994, I was the women's director. Um, in 2001, I moved over to our counseling ministry in 2004. Doug Fox asked me to come back to women's ministry. In 2008, I went to the counseling ministry. So you can see I, I sort of bounced around, always dealing with women's issues and women's ministry. And then when Sandy left in the um, December of 2013, then I became Todd's assistant in January of 2014. So I've held that position for five years. But throughout that time, from uh, the late 90s until 2017, so for close to uh, 20 years, I was part of a team of people that did memorial services. And that's what I've been asked to share about. Now, the wisdom of asking the church crier to talk about memorial services <laughs> is beyond me. But I do have a lot of experience, and I did bring my tissues. Um, so I'm surprised. 
How many of you have ever attended a memorial service here at Cornerstone, just by a raise of hands? Just look around the room. You'll see just among our own church family how many people have participated or attended services here. Um, our, our ministry started just sort of um, small, impactful, but a small ministry. The first one that I remember, I was trying to recollect, and the first one, and I don't know if Dan Mason is here, but we did his um, wife's service, Sally, and it was my first experience in assisting a family through that preparation. It was a, a good-sized service because they were members here at Cornerstone, um, but we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, and we, um, we did what we knew to do was to love on them and, and minister to them. A big, um, a significant um, service that we assisted with was for Brooke Bronkowski. Brooke was a 14-year-old girl who was killed on the 118 freeway um, with uh, another young man and others injured in the car. Her service was not actually held at Cornerstone. There was another church um, that had a larger facility, thank you, um, that um, hosted the service, but we hosted the memorial. Excuse me. And it was a real eye-opener for us because we saw just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people uh, come to us um, heartbroken over her passing. She was very active in our youth ministry, and she had quite an impact even to this day almost 20 years later. So that really um, was an awakening for us, that event and her passing, that we needed to step up our game. In the early years, um, <clears throat> it was myself and Pat McCoy. Pat McCoy has always given leadership for this ministry has done the vast majority of services and um, I ran the sort of logistics of it and then I had kitchen help and my right hand was uh, Darlene West. So it was really just the three of us in the early years. But as the ministry grew and we um, had more and more requests for services, <clears throat> we had to get more help. And um, and then we also developed a relationship with um, Rose Funeral Home, who has a small chapel. They can only seat about 100 people. And so they um, reached out to us, and we sort of partnered with them in the larger services. Well, larger services, of course, brought more people, and we needed more help. And then shortly after that, um, Margie Cochran joined us, and she was a phenomenal recruiter for um, assistance for us. We, um, um, by, by 2010, we were doing about 25 services a year, which means that every other week we were doing a memorial service, some smaller, uh, but some huge. Um, the largest one that we had ever done was um, Logan Hall's, and Logan Hall passed away in 2006. Um, his father... Um, Steve Hall and his wife and his um, mom, Jen, are still members of Cornerstone. And his service um, was the largest we've ever had at uh, somewhere between 12 and 1,400 people. And we served them all uh, lunch um, with the aid of the um, Los Angeles uh, Fire Department. And they had rigs 
in trucks. It was quite an emotional and phenomenal day. Logan had been very active in our children's ministry and as a 10-year-old was quite the evangelist. And um, uh, again, it was just a um, awakening to all of us in our church community of the need to minister um, to those that were suffering. Um, something significant that maybe some of you do not know is that we offer all of our services, always have from, from way back in the late 90s to the present day, we offer all of our services at no cost. Some of you may think, how do you do that? Um, God is so good to this ministry and has blessed it beyond our imaginings. We get um, sizable donations from some families. Some families are simply not able to offer anything at all. And we still provide for them in the same fashion that we would for someone who's made a donation. Um, we provide everything from the service, the staffing, the sound, the video, the program, and, and an entire, if they ask for it, we do an entire um, reception. And that's to your credit for um, supporting this church and supporting this phenomenal ministry. Today, in 2019, it is still thriving. We, um, we had a memorial service yesterday for an infant, a two-month-old baby who uh, had heart failure. And so right here on this um, platform was a teeny little casket and a little baby, uh, Kobe, who passed away last week. Um, incredible, incredible ministry that we've reached. Um, thousands of people. We, um, we estimated, I was going through my records, I started keeping records in 2003. We have done over 250 services at Cornerstone, and we've reached somewhere between 35 and 40,000 people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only, <laughs> the only criteria that we have that, that we've ever had to have a service here at Cornerstone is that we be allowed to present the gospel of Jesus. Without him, without that hope, um, there is no hope. And so we consider that an immense privilege to minister to families. I polled our pastors this week, including, uh, <coughs> of course, Pat and, and our other pastors, and unanimously they all said that they would rather do a memorial service than a wedding. And I apologize to you brides and <laughs> whatnot. But the impact of speaking truth in a, in a season of pain for a family far outweighs the, the season of joy in a wedding. So I wanted to share just a few um, uh, memories about specific things that you may not know um, actually occurred here. Um, of course, Brooke Bonkowski service, um, Logan Hall, I mentioned. Um, we've done uh, officers, police officers, um, Gary Galloway, his service was here. He's with Simi Valley PD, LAPD officer Ned Russell. We had the privilege of doing services for two victims of the Metrolink crash in uh, 2008. Atul Vias, his family came to us, had never attended church, and in fact, my recollection is they were Buddhists, but they allowed the gospel to be spoken in his service. 
Um, also a member of our family, our church family, Walt Fuller, his memorial service was also here. We've done um, suicides. We've done so many um, overdose, uh, drug overdoses in Simi Valley that it really, I, I, I could not count the number that we had done. Um, significantly, we did Austin Clomescos and Lindsay Cook. They passed away about um, 10 days apart of a drug overdose on heroin. And Susan Clemesco is the um, mother of Austin, and she is the founder of Not One More. And that all originated in this building. And that, that tribute to him and that fight, and I'm sure you see all over Simi, you still see bumper stickers and decals that say Not One More. Um, we, so, obviously, over the course of a large church, we've lost many of our own members, and some of them that you would remember best, probably Karen Hodges, Sharon Termani, Teresa McVeigh. Um, last year was a particularly hard year for our church family. Hazel Hammersley, at age seven, passed away. Christina Reeker, who had, um, was on staff here. Uh, Chip Kingerly, who had just recently returned from India, um, and then our precious Patrick O'Leary, um, Snooky O'Leary's husband. And Snooky has been very active in the memorial ministry. And then lastly, the um, ones that, of course, um, brought a national attention was um, the passing of Susan Smith, who was a shooting victim in Las Vegas, and our precious Christina Morissette, who passed away at the borderline shooting and her Families, the family attends Cornerstone. Um, we also found, eventually, we found a need for aftercare for families because just doing the services wasn't enough. And um, Sandy and I, um, I, I forgot to ask her the year, um, but I, at some point, maybe she was still on staff, so maybe six years ago, seven years ago, we started um, using material called Grief Share and ministering to that uh, families that have lost family members. And to this day, Sandy is still involved in that and still leads Grief Share group. In addition to our church, our Spanish ministry um, has done memorial services here. And just uh, two weeks ago, Connections Church, which meets at um, Jack's and Brian Williams did a, Brian Matthews, excuse me, did a um, memorial service for um, a former Hells Angel who had come to Christ, um, uh, had been an officer in the Hells Angels. And there, imagine this, where you're sitting, 500 bikers in here in all their leathers and all their bikes in the, back, in the parking lots here. And it was a tremendous tr tribute to a brother in Christ whose life had been transformed by Christ. Uh, in closing, I, um, I want to um, just be remembered, and, and Todd brings this to our attention a lot, is that every human being is created in the image of God, and every human being is deserving of honor and dignity, and every human being needs to know Jesus. So when you're in this sanctuary, when you come and go, remember that a lot happens in here that maybe you're not aware of, but Jesus is always exalted in this room. I would like, if you would, anyone who has ever served or brought cookies or handed out um, memorial programs, if you've served in any way, would you please stand 
so we can recognize you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you, and I did pretty good. <laughs> Lisa Nicewanger. She's going to come up and share with us just about the story of orphan care in the life of our church. Yes, as Billy said, um, I'm Lisa. I'm Todd's wife. And we are an adoptive family, and we were Ventura County foster parents for a number of years. So I get to share how uh, Cornerstone um, was used in the ministry of orphan care. So our journey uh, to become foster parents started about 12 years ago. We were at a wedding, and another couple walked in, a Cornerstone couple, and they had two babies, in both in infant seats. And at this point, Todd and I had been married um, about 10 years, and we weren't able to get pregnant. So I was very curious as to how my friend April had two babies. <laughs> and she just showed up with them. And so I asked her um, how she got them. <laughs> and she said they were foster parents. And there was another Cornerstone family that we should talk to. And so the next week, we were having dinner with Kevin and Robin Mooney, who were telling us the ins and outs of foster care. And apparently hadn't scared us too bad, because I went and signed us up the next day. Three months later, we were licensed foster parents with our first placement. So about, I don't know, maybe a year or two into fostering, Todd started to wonder if there was something we could do as a church to come alongside the county, if there was some way that we could do, um, if they needed anything, could our church be of help to them? He called the county, asked for a meeting, and to his surprise, not one, but about five people showed up for the meeting. And at that point, they needed foster parents. And they also needed a location to do the training on the east end of the county because everything happens on the other side of the county. So, of course, we let them have the NPR room, the NPR, and um, 200 Cornerstone families showed up for that meeting, the informational meeting. Uh, to our knowledge, that was a radical shift in the relationship between county and church. Um, even a few months after that, meeting, I got a call from one of our workers, I think it was a social worker, and she thanked me for a message she heard Todd give. Um, he had spoken on James 1, orphan care, and she and apparently a few of her co-workers had watched the sermon on podcast in a county building on county time on a county computer <laughs> because they wanted to know what had been said or what had been done that was so instrumental to compel so many people to take an interest in foster care. Now, um, of course, not all 200 people became foster parents. Uh, we did not solve the crisis. Um, but we estimate that about over the last 12 years, about 46 Cornerstone families did go on to become foster parents. And that's awesome. But we figure about well, well over 80 children were adopted in those 12 years, either through foster care or through international or domestic adoption. That's a lot of children. <laughs> that has radically changed how we do children's ministry. 
Um, we've had to put in safety protocols for our kids at VBS and Sunday school. Um, but it also has created a very safe place. Cornerstone has become that place that's safe for our families, um, kids that come from trauma, and our special needs kids. Well, as you can imagine, um, caring for children uh, in a broken world, in a very broken system, can become very weary and a little hopeless. We started to realize that our families needed some encouragement and support. So we started a ministry called Mosaic, and you've heard me talk about it before, but it was created for the sole purpose of giving hope and rest to our foster and adoptive moms through spiritual encouragement. And our vision for Mosaic has always been that it wouldn't just be here at Cornerstone, that it would be something, it would be a ministry that other churches could come and um, kind of do their thing as well. We would partner with them, whatever it took, so that we could reach more moms and give more moms hope so that more families stayed in um, foster care and that they would continue to keep adopting. Uh, so we're excited that our church plant in uh, West LA is going to host their first mosaic in a few weeks in April. They're going to do a mini version of mosaic. And we've also begun a discussion with a church in Orange County, and they hope to host their first mosaic as early as August. So we're super excited about that. More moms are going to be reached and encouraged. In closing, I think, do you have a picture for me? I have a picture this morning that I thought I would put some faces to those numbers I gave you. Um, 80 kids. This picture was taken about two years ago. It was at our son's adoption. And um, there's nine families in that picture, nine Cornerstone families. Everyone's from Cornerstone. Seven of them are adoptive families. And the, the bigger issue here is there's 25 kids represented in that picture among seven families. Um, and that's not even the scariest part. The 14 of those 25 are adopted. And of those 14, 11 of them are boys. <laughs> and I think the next picture was a picture of those boys. They're super handsome. Um, they are the future of your church. <laughs> and that is scary because I live with two of them. <laughs> um, but it is exciting and I think um, some of us parents may not live to actually see this through. Um, but you guys are all in for pretty exciting times in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All of us sitting here today in different ways and in different forms are sitting here today because 25 years ago, a group of people decided to meet in a Bible study. Like, isn't that kind of crazy? Like, I don't even know how many hundreds of people are in here today, but if I would have told that group of people back then, all of you would be sitting here 25 years later, I seriously think they would have thought that Maybe I had overdosed, right? I mean, they just, are you kidding me? All of us are always living in a long lineage that started all the way back 2,000 years ago. Sometimes I don't think we just stop and realize this gigantic, wonderful thing that we're a part of, that when Jesus Christ died and he rose again, and he unleashed then his people through the power of the Holy Spirit and said to them, I would like you to go, therefore, into all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. They actually took that seriously. And all of us in this room sitting here today are sitting here for that reason. That's crazy. 
Now, I'm going to keep it very short today. I'm just going to have you sit down now. I think that's what's so cool about that passage. This passage of Scripture comes from what's sometimes called the Great Commission. And, and we were, somebody asked me today, you know, like, hey, what, what's the vision for where we're going? Let me just tell you something. Here's the vision. The vision is what Jesus established 2,000 years ago, and it's not going to change. No, I'm serious. When Jesus launched it off, right, and just imagine with me for a second. There's 11 guys because we know Judas had just committed suicide, and, and Jesus told them, I want you to show up on this particular hill in Galilee. And lo and behold, verse 16, they showed up. And after showing up, a bunch of them, it says in 17, kind of weren't sure what to do with this thing. They were kind of doubting what was going on at that particular time, wondering what in the world's going to happen. But yet, it still says in verse 17, because you kind of can't not worship Jesus when you know he was dead, he was buried, and then you saw him come back from the grave. You're going to worship this one. And Jesus, in this moment, when everybody's all confused, not sure what to do, he said those words I just said over you just a little bit ago. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Wow. Why would people at Cornerstone, 54 families decide to go to the other side of the world? Why would 20 organizations spring up to somehow advance the gospel of Jesus Christ both here and around the world? Why would a group of people travel to all places? Like seriously, who would move to Texas, right? <laughs> Why? Why would a group of people decide to go rescue orphans? Why in the world would people then go to adopt either from this county, this nation, from around the world? Why? Why would people do all of those different things? And let me just tell you why I think they do it. Because verse 18, they too have ran into the greatness of Jesus. That's why we do it, right? If we did it for any other reason, we'd be stupid. Like, seriously, who else would move to, like, Ohio? What's in Ohio? <laughs> Woo, who's ever from Ohio going, I like it. <laughs> no, but, like, do you get what I'm saying here? Why do we do it? Because Jesus Christ, when he died and he was buried and he rose again, a group of people, men and women, saw him raised from the grave. It says over 500. And in seeing him, they also saw him taken up into heaven and announced to them that he truly was returning to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, where right now angels are proclaiming his name nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days of the year, all the time proclaiming the greatness of who he is. He sends his Holy Spirit and launches it off. We do it because we believe Jesus has all authority. And when he tells his people to go do something, the one who raised, gets raised from the dead and he says, go do something, we go do it. I think the other part that's up there that's interesting is we make sure others understand what's going on. We explain to them via this thing called baptism, right? We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. All baptism is, is we're making sure, do you understand what it means to follow Jesus? Do you see him as great as he truly is? Because by choosing to go get in that water over there, you're proclaiming that the old me is entering. 
I am now entering into that water and the old me is being left in that water and the new me is being raised like Jesus Christ to go join him in whatever he is. That's what we mean. Everybody that comes and is part of this understands the greatness of Jesus. But then as if that wasn't enough, he gives us a promise, verse 20. I'm with you in that always to the end of the age. I'm with you in that. That's why people have gone over the place. It's why people have brought kids into their home. It's why they go rescue orphans. It's, it's why we've done all these different things. It's his greatness and the promise that he will be with us through it all. And let me tell you something. Looking back over the legacy of Cornerstone, can I just say, amen. This church through the power of the Holy Spirit, nothing because of ourselves. We acknowledge that we are weak and in desperate need of an incredible Savior who came and rescued us. And then the Father gave us the Holy Spirit. And then we in turn went. And somehow, in some way, people, new people embraced Jesus. And in embracing Jesus, suddenly people are getting sent around the world. All I can say is sit here at this moment. No one can take credit. I'm so thankful for Francis. But even Francis can't take credit. To God be the glory. Praise to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Holy Spirit keep working amongst us. Right? But Jesus hasn't come back. And let me, don't get me wrong. I don't know about you. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Like I'm totally cool if right now I heard a trumpet. I'd be great with it. A loud shout, I'd be, it'd be groovy. It'd be so awesome. I don't even use the word groovy, but I just, I'm just using it for some of you that are born a little older than me. But it's just incredible. But in the meantime, verse 20, here's what we're doing. We're teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. The teaching isn't just filling people with head knowledge. The teaching is the kind of teaching that talked about in Acts 5, that when the apostles started to teach all over the city, people's lives began to change. It's the type of teaching that literally they had to grab them and put them in prison, and, but even prison couldn't hold them because an angel lets them loose. And as they get let loose, they, all the guys are wondering where, they, where in the world they, where they, had they gone. They brought them back in front of that same Sanhedrin and they said, you're not supposed to teach in this person's name. Your teaching is spreading throughout the entire city. And let me just say this, Simi Valley in its constant changing nature, I know some of you want to run away to places like Idaho. And let me just tell you, Jesus is needed in Idaho. But for right now, while you're in Simi Valley, my heart and my goal is over the next 25 years, this teaching would spread not only through Simi Valley and Moore Park and the valley and all this part of the world, but that some of you sitting here right now would have a heart then to join Jesus in other parts of our country and around the world because we have a Savior who has all authority that's been given to him. And until he comes back, he is with us to the very end of the age. That should never stop. That's what we're doing. And it's not just a teaching, like I said, that's head knowledge. Don't get me wrong. I feel like so often churches just focus on filling people's heads with new knowledge. But notice up there, it's to observe in such a way, to obey all his commands. Why? He says those things because the gospel changes lives. 
We can obey because it does change people. So what am I saying in all this? You ready for the vision? Here it's going to be. We're going to keep joining Jesus in what he's told his church to do for the last 2,000 years, and we're not going to quit until Jesus Christ comes back. There's the vision. Sound great? Sound good? So, I need everybody to stand up. It's one thing to clap. And what does that mean? It means you have to come back tonight to find out. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper together. We're going to be all hanging out. And I would love to talk with you about the things that the elders have been talking about to some extent so that you can begin to understand what it is that I believe God's called us to. But let me finish this way. Look up at those words in 19. Oh, don't change it. I just was going to use 19. Okay, look at 19. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, long ago, decided to weave this whole plan together. I don't understand it. I don't understand how it works. I don't understand how fallenness humanity all comes together. I don't get it, but we have a Father who is orchestrating all things and making sure that all things are going to come to a glorious and a wonderful end. In the midst of it all, we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son, who was the agent through his death and resurrection that all of us sitting in this room might enter into a right relationship with God because humanity had fallen. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who empowers his people to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ever ask or imagine, cornerstone, may you go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and 2,000 years of church history knowing that the gates of hell cannot stop the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.